0: Welcome to Rasterized, a podcast about life and design with Sydney and Eric. This is episode five, Planning Colors.
1: How's it going, Eric?
0: Good. How about you?
1: Not too bad. I practiced a little bit of self-care yesterday and got some new sheets, took a nice long bubble bath, you know, just just relax. It's been a good way to start the week.
0: That's good. Uh, Are those your favorite ways to de-stress a little bit from work?
1: say so anything that i can have quiet and comfort is good by me what about you
0: um i do a bunch of different things sometimes i do like some of my fun hobbies like i'll play video games a lot that's a fun activity that i do or i just you know sit and listen to music put my headphones in and kind of i guess that's kind of like meditating a little bit um Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll go for walks down in the park or something like that. That's always nice. Anything that kind of like gets you away from people for a while and just kind of lets you uh, move through things a little bit and let you know everything kind of troll through your head. <laughs>
1: right. I'm gonna guess you're probably a fellow introvert.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I definitely consider myself an introvert.
1: <laughs> have you ever looked up your Myers Briggs personality type?
0: I have, um, and I've also changed over the last decade oh because what are you currently uh i'm not 100 percent sure i think an int j
1: oh e-n-t-j okay or no i i that's what sorry we just established <laughs> you're an introvert i-n-t-j okay what about you i am an i-n-f-j
0: i-n-f-j which one's the f
1: uh f is feeling overthinking okay I'm not sure what that really equates to, but I've got the feels.
0: Do you do you think with your emotions? Do your emotions um, drive your actions?
1: Sometimes. Not all the time, but I guess I I use my feelings a lot to see if something like I trust my gut a lot, I should say it like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. That I can understand. So. Do, yeah. do you do that for like your creative work? Do you kind of like, uh, this feels like it looks good? Or do you have like objective criteria that you try to, you know, point it against?
1: Um, I would say as a whole, I definitely use the feeling part more in my writing and in the ads I build, especially because secret here, I did not go to design school. So, um, When I'm building ads, I just have to rely on my gut like this looks good or this doesn't. And if it doesn't look good, I try and figure out why that's the case. So a lot of that I do go by my gut. So probably why I'm a solid INFJ. Do you um, are you one more to like look at specifics or like a rubric and kind of evaluate your work
0: by that? I, to be honest, when it comes to like judging my work, I think I'm more of a I just, you know, feel it and kind of know. Um, because mm-hmm. I think I get that from my photography a bit because I, well, at least I used to have a lot of difficulty telling you whether I thought a photo was, uh, why a photo was good. It's just like, I would like line up everything, you know, compositionally in the camera. And then once it looked right, you know, I just kind of knew, Oh, that's right. But I didn't really know mm-hmm. why. Um, and that it wasn't until like, I learned a lot more about composition rules and stuff like that that i was able to start pointing out oh i like this because of that reason and stuff um yeah but you know but and i guess a lot of that's subjective but i think a lot of it comes from just you know having the eye of being like yeah this looks right to me
1: <laughs> it's nice when you know some of those theories behind it so you can explain oh this is why this looks right to me and it just dis- you know just yeah. Yeah,
0: it's definitely helpful whenever you're trying to present your work to someone and you're like, "Oh, here uh, this is this is what uh, my design for you is and here's why it's good, XYZ." <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Right. Um so this past week I had to design a cover for our big football preview and I was doing a lot of things I usually don't do with like deleting out a background and pasting these different high school football players on top of this new background and you know you have kids in the background you have kids in the foreground and all this stuff and I had no idea I mean I I just kind of went by what I thought would look decent and I got feedback on it and our sports editor loved it I'm like okay this works so yeah definitely I, I think with a lot of creative work it's not well I mean it's pretty known but it's not math it's not you know One plus one equals two. There's a little bit more that goes into it. But when you have those um, criteria or those explanations why this makes sense, it it helps. It definitely helps in explaining it. And you kind of use those as tools once you know.
0: And you work with clients a lot. Um, What do you do in a situation where your client wants something that looks bad? (laughs) Like, are you okay with just making something that looks bad for them if that's what they want?
1: Um, (laughs) that reminds me, did you see that news story circulating about a tattoo artist who only does terrible tattoos and people are lining up the door for them?
0: I did not hear about that. That's interesting, though.
1: Yeah, that was another one I kept scratching my head at, like, okay, who's Who's judging that
0: they're terrible?
1: Um, good point. They're like doodles. They're like scribbles.
0: Okay. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously people think that's kind of cool, so i don't know yeah but i mean if you really wanted a bad tattoo you could just let your friend who just started doing it (laughs) give you one
1: (laughs) there you go i had that thought earlier today um like what would it be like if i went to a tattoo parlor and just got like one or two little like pokes of ink what would that look like
0: like those little like you have marks well you know what I managed to stab myself with one of those lead pencils, like it was in my pocket, and I put my hand in my pocket. And you know, the lead went in when in like third grade, and to this day, I still have a black mark where it went in.
1: Oh my gosh,
0: it's like I kind of tattooed myself with it. It's really weird.
1: (laughs) There you go, you'll never forget that day.
0: So, if you are wondering what it looks like if you just put a dot somewhere of a tattoo, I can show you.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, then you could tell people, hey, I got a tattoo, and you just show them this teeny tiny dot. I
0: don't know. Do you think your parents would freak out?
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, probably for, like, a bunch of reasons. Like, well, we're not big tattoo people. Just we, we ourselves, you know, don't get them. Whatever. But, um... I think they would be mad, like, why did you spend all this money to get, like, one dot put in your arm? Don't you think that's stupid, and you just have this colored dot for the rest of your life? Yeah,
0: I guess I could see that. I've seen a lot of tattoos that I really, really like, and I think that there are some that I've seen that look amazing, but I would have a huge amount of difficulty deciding what one to put on myself because I can't even decide what posters I put up on the wall. I don't think I could decide <laughs> what what permanent uh image to have on my, you know, arm or something.
1: Ah, uh, I feel that dilemma. Except I will say and this is okay to talk about because it still falls in the realm of design, but um on campus a couple years ago, we had a woman who was Studying or doing a history of tattoos or like female tattoo artists. And she brought up this one named Rox. And I think Rox is somewhere out in California, R O X X. And her work is breathtaking. Like, I never wanted a tattoo. And then I saw some of the things she was doing and I was just blown away. So, this is the time to go look her work up and see for yourself what you think.
0: I actually just recently it's interesting that we talked about this um, because one of the YouTube uh, movie reviewers that I look at was his name's Chris Stuckman. Um, He just he recently got a new tattoo on his arm and I was looking at the work that he did and it was still, you know, healing up and everything when he was showing it. And I was like, holy crap, that looks amazing. And um, he goes to some. Somewhere in Ohio or something I'd have to double check and put in the show notes who he goes to, but her work seems absolutely amazing and to the point where it was like I would actually consider getting something like that just because it was so cool um so i yeah it's 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 interesting um I don't know where else to go with that, but
1: <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's an art, and to see people who really take it to the next level it's it's really amazing and I don't know. Anything short of that, I don't know if I'm gonna do it to myself. But um speaking about so tattoos and dots. I took a trip to the printers the other night. We stopped by to check on a printing not an issue, but we we stopped by the printers to give them forewarning about our special section that was coming out. And the one of the guys working one of the pressmen, he gave me like this little round magnifying glass and how back in the day they would like put this magnifying glass, which is on like a little stand um, on top of. I I think it was the plate to make sure that all of the dots for the color pages were like spaced out far enough, but still kind of close together for when they were doing their um, print runs. And yeah, it was really cool because it, you know. I mean, on my end, I see a lot it with the color and designing things and making sure we don't have four-colored black. We don't have this or that. And it was really neat from their end to see. I don't know. Every time I go to the printers, I'm just always amazed by how we are able to mass produce things pretty dang quick. And it's not like a new technology. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. And just kind of as an iteration for people who happen to be new to design at all and don't really know there's basically two main ways to make color um and then there's uh like a reflect reflective color which is what they do with like print and they use the c and magenta yellow and black uh inks to do that and then there's like a uh, additive colors that are um, used with screens and digital things which are red green and blue
1: right so sorry about that uh so since i'm in print, everything I do is CMYK, so I like to do that. It's fun to stay at the CMYK, <laughs> but but Eric, you're pretty RGB unless you're doing prints for someone, right?
0: Yeah, I, most of my photography and all that work is, and work with web design is all done with RGB, and so I, I don't get into CMYK too much except for printing, correct, and usually I just let the printer tell me what the colors are, right? <laughs>
1: i kind of like it they're like rival gangs
0: i i have well i haven't had any issues uh with people being like one or the other but are you saying you're gonna have some beef with me because i'm rgb
1: (laughs) no i just think it's an interesting way to like position yourself on one side of a fence or another not that i have anything against rgb i mean i believe it's more accurate of you know getting the color you want
0: well there's there's a couple things with it because you can get more complicated with rgb like cmyk like you have your values that are usually between zero and 255 is that what they are for each one
1: you can edit this out because i don't know
0: okay um i i believe it's um uh the colors go between i zero- thought it
1: was 100 yeah.
0: Oh, it might be a zero and hundred. Yeah, I'm thinking RGB again. It's those zero RGB goes to 0 255. Yeah, because
1: um, white white is zero zero zero, and you know a pure color like straight cyan is one hundred.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. So they do them on the hundred scales. Well, RGB you can do because it
1: makes sense.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's
1: like the metric
0: system. You only have <laughs> it like, just makes sense. You only have so many steps though. With RGB, you can have like eight bit color or you can have 10-bit color, or you can have 12- or 14-bit color. And, you know, which each of those steps up in bits, you can have, you know, from thousands to millions to billions of different colors. Um, And so, especially in photography, you know, most of the screens that you view, like on your phone, or most of your laptops or desktops at home, they're going to be an 8-bit. So they only show those many million colors. And it's still works fine for most things. But if you're taking photographs, my camera that I have can take both uh, 12 bit or 14 bit uh, RGB uh, files. So there's like several billion colors in there and a bunch of them actually can't even be shown on the uh, screen that I use. Um, But you can only, it comes useful later on if you happen to be working in a uh professional workstation or something that can show those colors they are available to you then to use and adjust things and uh make colors more accurate uh it gets it's a very very deep rabbit hole dealing with the different color spaces and different bit depths
1: yeah it it is another thing that i see i think it's like a third color model is something with like pantone like a proprietary color system where Instead of using something that's in CMYK or RGB, it's just Pantone colors?
0: Well, that's a that's a way to pick the colors that you're using. Um, when you get to things like the color space, and this is this is even above my head. I, I don't know a whole lot about color spaces. Um, but that just defines the potential colors available to you. So the major one is like sRGB, which is what most people use their computers in. And then there's like Adobe RGB, and then there's pro rgb i think is the name of it and each of those have like bigger and bigger color gamuts and when you get into cinematography they go even further um with different lo- loot tables and or lo- tables or whatever they're uh, they call them um but that's that's a huge deep rabbit hole and there could be several whole podcasts about that <laughs> um <laughs> but it, it's interesting stuff so when especially if you're trying to switch between things that are on a computer and then printing them out. And there's a lot that goes into it between, you know, step A to B.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, for instance, we, I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not, but we'll get ads in that have black type or it looks to be black type. And it's actually four color black type, which means that the black that's used to make this, um, black in question it's really um a combination of cyan magenta, and yellow and sometimes like a, well uh, yeah a little bit of black too and what it does is it <laughs> it makes the text look fuzzy when it's printed because if you think about it like if you have a traditional black ink you know as you're going through the printer it only has to align for that one color, but if you have four colors, it's trying to align for all four. And when you're thinking about all of those um, processes and trying to get them, and we're like talking like 12 point font, like just small and it ends up fuzzy and kind of brown, dark brown looking. So a lot of times we'll have that happen where the advertiser or a client sends in their ad and it's in four color ink. So it's up to me to try and fix that. So it comes out of straight black. Um, but th- that's really the main color issue I have other than like lightning things for printing it'll like darken by twenty percent from the start to end of a printing run so
0: yeah you'll have that a lot with uh large uh, volume commercial printing uh, instead of like inkjet printers that are in your home they don't quite work the same uh usually the commercial printing is doing the whole page at the once uh, for each color uh, whereas an inkjet printer will Read the each line individually and put all the colors down at the same time.
1: Right. Right. It just sprays it. A spray of color. It's like the color run in your printer. I'm just kidding.
0: Spray paint. Spray paint on a microscopic level.
1: Ooh, spray paint. I did I tell you about the kid who spray painted the top of um one of the bridges in Pittsburgh? No. Oh. So, yeah, if you Google, I think it's the Tenth Street Bridge. There is a guy who spray painted the top of it with his tag. I think it's like Moogie, and there's also someone else who spray painted some dinosaurs at the top of it.
0: interesting. So they had to so I'm guessing this is some source of pride for them to have, like have climbed up all the way up there and put their graffiti tag on it.
1: yeah, I don't think they've taken it off, and he got he I think he got caught for it. And it's interesting because he almost fell to his death while trying to do it. I think he was drunk one night. Oh, jeez. And yeah, he has a lot of tags in this city. I mean, I think he he went to prison and he's cleaned up now. But just interesting. I don't know. I graffiti interests me, but
0: well, yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting topic so to talk about graffiti a little bit. Um, I have never graffitied, so I don't have any personal experience on it. But um, what are your thoughts on graffiti?
1: I've never done any kind of graffiti either. Just want to put that out there. Um, I don't know. It's like, I like... I've seen murals done with, like, you know, commission murals that are really cool. Um, And kind of, like, stuff like... that. I don't know. Some things are neat, and then like, I just think 90% of it is in poor taste, but there is some stuff that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, you have to go through a lot of poorly drawn dicks to get to the... uh (laughs) get to the really cool stuff i i have seen some graffiti that have been you know down on the bottom of bridges and stuff that looks quite cool um yeah it's an interesting form of art uh
1: what is art eric
0: oh, oh that that ball of wax <laughs> uh i don't want to open that <laughs> we're up we're not tonight. going there <laughs> we'll talk about no we no. will talk about that in the future though about whether uh well let me just pose the question to listeners is graphic design art that's all I'm gonna say. I, uh, whatever your response is, go for it.
1: Tweet at Eric at Dilated Aperture. Um, do you want to talk about stationary?
0: Stationary? like planners.
1: Yes, like planners. Did you know I am a huge planner nerd?
0: I can gather a guess. No, I <laughs> I don't use planners personally. I try to use planners, but I I I don't because I I whenever I have an. A, a meeting or something, I end up just sticking it in my phone. But um, tell us about planners.
1: Oh, see, I wish I was more along those lines where I remember to put it in my phone because I always forget. Um, Planners are really helpful as far as keeping track of things. They're handy dandy. If your phone dies, your phone dies where your planner is always there and available. Um, They're just a really nice way to visually block out time in your day. Like for me, I like seeing if I have big projects coming up. And, um you know they're nice they they keep me on top of my a game
0: do you use a weekly daily or hourly planner?
1: I used all of them i i've I've done weekly hourly and I don't know if I've had like just a straight up monthly one I think it's been like a week out of view and then the day broken by time so, so
0: the with like the day hourly one you you block out, like, each hour what you're going to do? Or you only, like, put in when something important's there?
1: Um, no. Like, I I think I blocked it out. I used that one my senior year of college. That one was the expensive one I was talking about earlier. Um, So, like... What was frustrating about that, though, is that all of my classes started at weird times, like, 9.05 or 12.20. So it didn't perfectly line up with the hour mark, so I'd have to, like, kind of draw boxes to encapsulate the time of the class. But other than that, it was nice when I had, like, club meetings late at night, or I tutored, so I would, like, schedule in appointments. And there was also space for, like, notes and stuff, like what you are going to do for dinner. And I think there was like a little sidebar for like a to do list, so it was cute it was it was not bad, just a lot of paper. it got really heavy
0: interesting what's Where's your favorite like what's your favorite planner brand or place to get a planner?
1: Oh, I have no loyalty <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've had so many um i'm trying a new one now by Rifle Paper Company or hang on a second I want to make sure I'm saying this right okay. is it Rifle. Do, do, I want to make do, sure it's
0: <laughs> do, do, do. Do, 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 do.
1: okay. Got it. Um, so I just ordered a new one from Rifle Paper Company. It's really, really cute. I like the floral. Um it's it's one a week's view at a time. So a week is spread out over two pages. But what I also like about it is in the beginning of it, it has a section for all of the months together, and a few lines under the months. So my plan is to put all of our big projects there. So I'm not blindsided again, because there's nothing worse than realizing you three special projects due in a week.
0: Excellent. Um, since I don't use a planner myself, I had to ask someone else to get a recommendation for planners. And so this recommendation comes from a professional uh, pharmacist. She uses Erin Condren, who's apparently known well for... Uh, teaching planners for like for teachers. Um, But they do just about everything and you can get like personalized covers for them and fit different covers for them. If you like to jazz up your planner and make it look different every week, Uh, you can get a bunch of different covers for them. Um, So that's pretty neat. Uh, Other than that. Yeah. I don't have any uh, recommendations on planners myself. I did get one last year. It was like a $4 one at like uh, Staples or something. And tried using it for a while, and I, you know, I always forget. And then a month later, I'm like, "Oh, I have this. I should, I should use this." And then the cycle continues.
1: Aye, <laughs> it's okay. I've been there too. I always had to have one when I was in Catholic school growing up. So mine were never that cool. It was only when I was an adult that I realized, "Hey, I'm going to see this thing every day. I should probably enjoy what it looks like."
0: Oh yeah, I think if you if you had one when you were younger, that's a good way to keep uh Get to, get in the habit of using one. I just get too used to just plugging in something in my phone, and then I get an alert. You know, on that day that it's coming up on my calendar. I just find that too convenient.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So no, we. So here's the question for you: What program would you recommend for an online calendar that coworkers can share and update when, like, inputting different projects and and things like timelines?
0: I use Google Calendar. Um, and that's, that's who we, that's what we use at work. Whenever, um, we set up a time for a meeting, they send out an email to everyone. Google lets you hit yes or no right in the email. If you're going to come back and if you hit yes, it puts it in your calendar automatically. Then it's synced to my phone and all my computers. So the day before when Uh. I log into my computer, it'll say, you have this coming up today. Um, so I, I, there's tons of like, Task apps and stuff like that. um I'd uh, feel free to, most of them are free, so go ahead and just try some of them. But uh, I just use the Google Calendar.
1: Oh, very nice. Well, I was kind of deciding between either Google Calendar or iCal just because we have Macs where I work, and both of my coworkers also have iMacs they use. So that's why I was thinking. Maybe that, but I don't know. I haven't decided. I We really need a digital calendar system. We talked about having a paper one that we print out once a month, but I think that's just going to be too much of a pain.
0: Yeah, we have a, a system that we use at our workplace um, to like organize who, what groups are meeting in which rooms and if there's events going on in certain rooms, because we have a lot of locations at our building, um, and they use a program called Meeting Room Manager, but it's like... It's ancient, and they don't really like it much. (laughs) So I know they've been looking (laughs) for an alternative, but um, a lot of the really major options are really, really expensive. Uh, Hmm. So it'd be interesting to see if anyone uh, has any recommendations on their favorite uh, meeting room app or calendar app. Go ahead and give us a link to it or a shout-out.
1: Yeah, let us know. Open to any and all ideas, because we need to figure out our production schedule. Well, is there any other like paper products or anything you've been eyeing up or any back to school things that you want to talk about?
0: I did buy a really good pen recently. I got a.
1: Oh, yeah. I got
0: a Metropolitan M2. No, no, the Pilot Metropolitan is what I got. This is my Uh first kind of fancy pen. It writes really nice. Uh, beyond, (laughs) beyond that, I'm not really into, some people are really into calligraphy and stuff and it looks amazing when they do it, but I have terrible penmanship, just awful. I've never been able to like write things well, even if I try really, really hard. So I, I I don't know, maybe I was thinking if I had a fancy pen, it would be, it would make me write better, but it it, it doesn't.
1: Oh, I was just about to ask you, have you seen, like, any kind of improvement in your handwriting from trying out this new pen? I
0: I can't say that I have. Now, uh, I I will say I haven't really been using it that much. Since it's a fancier pen, I kind of save it for things. Like, I use it for checks, you know, signing checks or something like that. Oh. Um, But I don't know if I would actively write on it with it. it. It is... It does feel nice when I do write with it, but I haven't spent a lot of time practicing with it. Maybe it would improve over time. It might make me slow down a little bit and try and write more clearly. Because if you mess up, it like blots and stuff, so (laughs) you have to be a bit more careful.
1: Yeah, you know, Staples has a subsection of their website for luxury pens. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, did you know there's pens that are over $100 a piece?
0: Oh, I believe it is one of those space pens or something. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I don't even know how much those cost, but I was thinking, uh, there's a brand called Cross, and they have ridiculously expensive pens. Like, I don't know. I I figured they're not going to want to sponsor us, so it doesn't really matter.
0: <laughs> Sorry, your pens are too expensive for our audience. I don't. I don't know. I <laughs> I can't shoehorn them into saying whether they can't afford a hundred dollar pen or not. It's just whether you decide it's worth it to do so. <laughs>
1: I I guess maybe you sign a lot of autographs, write a lot of letters. Maybe if you, Who knows? I think they have
0: those special, like autograph. They're like pens, almost. Well, they're like marker pens, basically. That's what I see sometimes. Yeah. Those would be kind of fun to have.
1: Oh, you know what? Cross has a series of Star Wars pens. I've really seen it all now.
0: Oh, there we go. That would be worth yeah. it. I'd buy a hundred dollar Star Wars pen. Does it come with a lightsaber? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm going to shop now. I'm curious how much. Oh, my God. Guess how much they are. How much? $450.
0: For a Star Wars pen. Yep. Boy, I wonder how much of that's going to Disney.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one has to wonder. Commemorating the original 1977 film.
0: Did you see when, like, once Disney bought Star Wars... They had Star Wars everything. They had like oh, Star yeah. Wars Pop-Tarts, Star I saw Star Wars oranges, like bags <laughs> of oranges that were Star Wars <laughs> brand.
1: Oh my, that's a bit more ridiculous than the pen.
0: I yeah, I just they they put them put it merchandising, merchandising. That's yeah. what all the kids are on about. If that's a star, star um a Spaceballs reference if anyone did catch that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah! Uh, you know, they also have Marvel pens. They're quite quite a bit less thirty bucks or er, thirty five for one, sixty for others.
0: Is, is is this place like a is is it a Disney owned company?
1: Cross no, it just does partnerships. And I like huh. they don't refer to them as pens; they refer to them as writing instruments.
0: Oh gee. well, yeah, I gotta do something fancy to say it.
1: <laughs> Special edition Star Wars, Marvel, Chinese Zodiac, classic century, and then peerless. Oh, what's limited edition?
0: Doesn't it kind of detract from the brand a little bit if they have a fancy pen, but then they have the fancy pen in Marvel? Like it's a Captain America fancy pen?
1: I mean, baby, you are a superhero loving person who's really done well for themselves, and you just want to, you know, have a little bit of that in your life.
0: I feel like the screenwriter of Marvel movies should have one, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, What about people who, like, love Batman and they make their own Batmobile, Eric? Batman's
0: a, Batman is a DC character, so he better not be in Marvel stuff.
1: <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, if someone loves a superhero and they spend a lot of money on it, in one way or another.
0: I guess so. There are those, um, you know, crazy collectors. I don't want to call them crazy, but there's they're some big collectors. <laughs> There's, um...
1: Avid. Avid collectors.
0: Do you, um... Do you ever see those, like, minimalist movie posters? Yeah, The fan-made ones?
1: Those are really cool.
0: I really, really like a lot of those. There's some really amazing, like, fan-made movie posters and stuff. And I've always wanted to try making my own, but so far I've had little luck with it.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's... I don't know. Minimalism is... It's definitely something that takes... Um, a lot of skill and the trained eye to do because it's like hinting enough at something that people get the idea of without going overboard and it's a fine line and it's kind of like making your shapes and colors or lack thereof serve multiple purposes so
0: yeah I think it's a good exercise really because you know it's all about refining something down to its base core you know of what that thing is about um, so I think that's how you can know when something when minimalism is done well is when it's like instantly recognizable in what it's mm-hmm. representing. Right. So I, I think it's interesting. I, I I do try to use I guess more minimalistic design myself. I I like it. Um, but uh, it doesn't work for everything. If you're going for something with like a a vintage feel or something with textures, I always feel like mm-hmm. minimalism. Uh, is hard to use for that stuff
1: right it it never works either with um the like local businesses i deal with they want like really flashy
0: oh yeah yeah clients don't like minimalism
1: (laughs) no it's hard to sell older people in minimalism have you heard about um oh what was it there's a bunch of articles out now how minimalism needs to step aside because its cousin maximalism is coming back
0: what what is maximalism
1: well it's what you might imagine it's like you know a lot of decorations things are that are ornate bringing back colors and textures
0: so it's kind of like um do you know like arabic textures like the very very fine or- ornate patterns that they make in a lot of stuff
1: Kind of, yeah. I'm aware of like a certain tile pattern that is really common in Arabic art.
0: Yeah, so so it's kind of like that idea of having everything very, very detailed. Okay, I could see that. I could I could see how that could be popular coming coming again. Yeah. Is it yeah. is it about like loud colors too, or busy um, designs?
1: Let me see. I'm trying to go back to the article I found. I don't know if it's necessarily, ugh gosh let me (laughs) let me send you
0: (laughs) that's not a good response to it
1: (laughs) no i saw this article let me send it to you real quick because the first image is something i just want to barf over
0: what's the article and where can we find it
1: okay so the article is from fastcodesign.com and it is called minimalism is dead hello maximalism and so the subtitle is "less is a bore," as Robert Venturi once said.
0: So, which one of these? Okay, I see the minimalism in the first photo, and the next one's maximalism. So it's about like a busy pattern, basically, on the floor.
1: Yeah, it's the reintroduction of pattern and texture and color play. Okay, where you know you have far less of those reductive qualities. If anything, I'd say it's a little bit warmer. And not as cool or standoffish or just you know sterile
0: i I can understand patterns coming back, but that here's the thing the thing with patterns is they go out of style really fast, so mm-hmm. like like probably five years ago, everything was chevron. Oh, chevron. Now nothing chevron again. So now if you went and painted your walls (laughs) chevron, it's going to look super dated in a few years. And I feel like patterns are very, very, like, have that danger.
1: (laughs) Right. It's just going to look 2011 in your bedroom. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's Well, it's important with anything that if you're keeping a longer timeline in mind that you go for things that have more timeless qualities like polka dots and stripes kind of stay where they are they're not they're not going anywhere
0: oh you know what we should talk about what our typeface of the week
1: oh what's our typeface of the week
0: i thought that we would combine it into our typeface news oh um unless you want to do the other one we were talking about this week or do you want to do the combo
1: We can do a combo. Let's do it.
0: Let's do a combo. So, in typeface news, BBC News, well, not BBC News, BBC Sport uh, has a new typeface. It's called BBC Wreath, which was named after the BBC's founder, Lord Wreath. And it's designed to look good on small mobile devices because a lot of people check sports and view Things on their mobile devices now. I know for my website, over fifty percent of the mo- the traffic on it is from mobile. So having a font that looks good at very tiny sizes is very important. And BBC decided to come up with this new one to help out with that because a lot of the other uh, typefaces they had in the past didn't work so well at small sizes. And also they had to pay licenses for those ones. So they just homebrewed one so that they have one that didn't have to pay licenses for, which is pretty cool. Um, I don't know if you can get it yourself yet, uh, but I will have a link to an article about the new uh, logo and graphics that they're using in the description.
1: Very nice. Well, thank I'm sorry you for I didn't bringing
0: get, yeah i'm sorry i didn't get you know let you talk much about that but
1: <laughs> no that's okay I'll, I'll talk about mine um thank you for that backstory on the, the new bbc typeface that's really cool that they were able to come up with their own i know for our business we have um we have one specific typeface for a um iconic part of the publication and that <laughs> that that Baby is, you know, under wraps. So, because if anyone gets it, you know, here go a bunch of copies and, you know, frauds. But anyway, um, well, thank you. That's really cool that we can have typeface news going on. So, our typeface of the week is a font called Octon. Oh, shoot. Oh, Octon College. College. Damn. Okay, so. That's synced ta-
0: reveal. Look at that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so our typeface of the week is octon college you can find it on Typekit, and it's kind of i'm trying to think of the best way to describe it it has some Uh, of those
0: i would say think of a sports jersey and then think of the numbers on the back and make that a font
1: yeah well think of like you know your original sports jerseys and someone's having to stitch those last names onto them and team names and you know when they're trying to do something that's curved it's it's hard to stitch curves so that's why with this font it really harkens back to those early days where the letters um at at various curves uh, would just be lines at angles. And what what's neat, I was reading on TypeKit. It's designed by Ray Larrabee of typo, typodermic fonts. And the interesting part is that Ray, who was born in nineteen seventy, he has designed over 1100 fonts and 480 font families so
0: oh interesting
1: yeah it says yeah library has a long established record as an independent font designer and has been publishing his fonts since 1996 so you too can be a font designer that's cool wait a second if if adobe Typekit can call them fonts why can't we just call them fonts
0: you can call them whenever you want <laughs> oh
1: thank you Thank you. So yeah, that's our typeface of the week and our, our typeface news.
0: Yeah, so if you're if you're going to be doing any designs with uh, schools or anything like that, any school flyers or something with back-to-school stuff, uh, give that font a try. I think it would oh. work out well for you.
1: Yeah, I should add, sorry, I should add that. I use this on our sports um, pages just to, you know, give that sportsy jersey feel. So if that's how I came across it. And like Eric's saying, I would recommend it for anything that's like back to school and you want to invoke that kind of sense of athleticism with it. So, Octon College, solid choice.
0: Excellent. And I think that wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, Don't forget to respond to some of our questions and everything we had. Uh, You can also find us on me on Twitter and everything. We'll have links to everything in the description. Thank you for listening. So long. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rasterize, a podcast about life and design with Sydney and Eric. This is Episode 6, Planning Colors.
1: I thought this was Episode 5.